I just invite you, um, as I share this story with you, to get lost in the story. Um, So this is the birth of Christ from Luke chapter 2. At that time, the Roman emperor, Augustus, decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was now obviously pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for him. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. After the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. Incredible, right? This unbelievable story. And when you consider it in the backdrop that for 400 years, the Lord had not spoken to his people that this miraculous birth comes and that these shepherds, these working men, hear about it from angels. And then they're totally surrounded in the field. I mean, can you imagine for a minute what that field must have been like? And as I've thought about that story and tried to memorize it over the last month or so, it's been rattling around in my head. You know, and I know that Beth, as she drew those drawings, um, she was thinking about it. And it's this great story. And the more that we come to this story, the more it has an impact on us. And so what really stood out to me as I memorized it this time was this, the manger. Like, why does the king of the universe come to a manger? Right? That's not how royalty acts, right? Like if a king or a prince is born, happens in the palace, or at least at the nicest suite in the nicest hospital in the country, right? That's what you would expect, but he's born to a manger. And I just kept thinking about what that was like. I mean, I think about 
you know, any interaction you may have had with royalty or dignitaries or presidents or whatever, I mean, they, they travel with roped off the security team, the advance team comes in and sets the thing up. They rope it all off. You stay a long way off from them. You know, the president, when he goes from the White House to Andrews Air Force Base, goes on Marine One, that sparkling, shining, you know, big Huey, I think it is, helicopter, right, or whatever it is. It's a monster. But, you know, there's three of those so that they don't even know which one the president's in other than the guys who are transporting them. And that's how dignitaries travel, right? Like, that's how royalty and presidents act. I remember about 15 years ago, and I was thinking about this, Celia and I were on a company trip, not, not this company, <laughs> but this other company that I work for, and um, we were in Monaco, and uh, we had seen the sights, and Celia and this other couple wanted to go see the palace, and I wasn't, I didn't care if we saw the palace or didn't see the palace, but that was what was on the docket for the day, we were going to go see the palace, so about an hour in, you know, it's Princess Grace, Grace Kelly, the actress, and Prince Rainier, and Prince Albert, and, you know, all, all the, I was getting the lowdown on all of it. I'm looking at the pictures, seeing all the little relics, and about an hour in, I've had enough. And I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to go outside and wait for you guys. So I went out, found a park bench, I was sitting down, just watching people, having a much better time than I was inside. And... um all of a sudden, this minivan comes along, and a, a Volkswagen, it looked like a Jetta, it was Europe, so it was probably a different name for it, but it kind of looked like that. And they pull up, and the area that I'm in is like a, it's like a courtyard, or it's, it's not an area where cars are traveling, but they back their way up to the palace, and as they do, these barricades, like these posts, come up out of the ground, right? And the palace doors open, like, and I was like, oh, that's like a garage, like it just looked like part of the wall. So that opens, the minivan backs in, there's a little commotion I can see back there from my park bench, and then they get in the car, and then out comes the little Volkswagen Jetta, then the minivan, and, uh, and then a trailer car that was already in the palace comes behind. And I'm thinking, like, this couldn't be Prince Albert, right? I mean, like, this is Monaco. Like, shouldn't he be in a Rolls Royce or something, you know, fancier than that? But sure enough, it was, it was Prince Albert. And he's, like, second row from me, right? Like, I, and he kind of nods, and I wave. <laughs> whew, off he goes. The things go back down on the ground, right? And the prince is gone. About 10 or 15 minutes later, Celia and our two friends come walking up. <laughs> you know, and meanwhile, there's a guy, like, sitting down. For that. I don't know. He's, I don't know where he's, you know, from Lafayette, Lichtenstein, whatever. He's over there. He's like, wow. I was like, yeah, well. And so, uh, you see that? I saw that. You know? And so, they come up, and I'm like, hey, you're never going to believe it. Like, Prince Albert just came out of the palace, and he whisked him off, and these things came out of the ground, and they're like, no, that didn't happen. They don't believe me, you know? And so, even now, they probably don't believe me. But this is a prince, right? Like, with an entourage. And, you, and, and we contrast that with Jesus in a manger, and that, you know, Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 says that he will be this mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, you know, wonderful Counselor, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his government will never end, right? And Ephesians 1, 21 talks about that, 
There's, he's above every ruler and authority and power and dominion, not only in this age, but in the age to come. And so he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and that he came to this manger. Philippians 2, I think, captures it really well when it says that he made himself nothing, and he gave up all his divine privileges. And I want to know why. Like, that's what I've been thinking about in the last month as I've been thinking about the story. Why did he do that? It's because he didn't come to conquer, but he came to win our hearts. He came for you, and he came for me. That's why he came, and that's why he came to a manger. Reminds me of this, I think it's a Danish philosopher, Soren Kierkegaard, tells this great story about a king and a humble maiden. And the king knows, he's, he's like seen this humble maiden, and he's fallen for her, and he wants to have a relationship with her. And he knows if he just calls her to the castle that she's going to say that she loves him because it's better to be the queen than a humble maiden. But he doesn't know that she'll love him. And he knows that if he gets in his you know, royal carriage and he rolls out to her village, banners flying, that she's going to fall for him then too. And so this king and his story becomes a beggar so that he can win the heart of the one that he loves. And that's what I want to tell you that Jesus has done. And that's why he comes to a major. is because he wants to win our hearts. He wants to have a relationship with us. He revealed himself to shepherds and wise men. And when he grabbed, like, disciples around him, you know, it talks about him meeting an old man that was waiting to see the Messiah, Simeon, and then an old lady that was waiting too, had been in the temple every day waiting to see the Messiah, and he reveals herself to her. And then the guys that taught him, and then his disciples are just fishermen and tax collectors. And like, what's the message in that? He could have had the religious elite parading before him. They've been living in palaces, but the point is, is that he wanted to be accessible. He wanted to be approachable. He wanted to live in a way that we would know that we could have a relationship with him. He was looking for a way to connect with us. I've had this image in my head. In the last year, we've gotten this uh, little puppy. Her name is Pippa. And she's a year old now, and she's got a bunch of energy. And you know, But when we've had friends bring their dogs over to play, like big dogs playing with our little puppy, especially when we first got her, You've seen how dogs do that thing where they like they want to play, but the little dog's afraid of the big dog, so they get down on the ground, right? And they kind of paw at him, and they're like, come on, like, let's play, right? You've seen the big dogs do that before? And they're like, look, they're just, they're just wanting to be playing. They just want to play with them. They just want to, they're just inviting him in. That's the image I want to give you of Christ in the manger, and he's come down on our level. He's given up all of his authority and all of his dominion and everything, and he's come right down into our world. And he's put himself in a manger, which is like a feeding trough. Right? Some people say in a barn, some people say in a cave, some people say it was the bottom floor. It doesn't matter. It's in a place where they fed animals. That was his first bed. And he did it for a purpose. <clears throat> and when we come to him, here's what I want you to know that one, we have access to him because of when he grows up and lives a perfect life and dies on the cross for us, he creates this access 
But it talks about in Romans 5, 1 and 2, that we, have, we now stand in this place of undeserved privilege. We didn't earn it. It was granted to us because of what he did for us. He lived a perfect life, and he died for us to cover our sins so that we could walk with him and be in relationship with him. And I just want to like, let you know that this has always been the way he's felt about you. When you look back in Psalms, think about Psalm 16:8, and David talks about that, like, I'm not, I will not be shaken because I know the Lord's right beside me. Or Psalm 23, 4 says, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not afraid because I know you're with me. Right? In Psalm 37, 23, it talks about that he delights in us every detail of our lives. That's how he feels about us. That's what his word says about us. And this week I was reading in Psalm 25, verse 14, says, for those who revere him, that he wants to be friends with us. A friend, an intimate friend, that it will share our concerns and our burdens and we'll share his. That's the kind of relationship that he wants to have. And so we have that access with him. And the other thing that we get from him, because I, I said a minute ago about Isaiah 9, that he's this prince of peace. We get peace when we enter a relationship with him. So if you've not done that, I want to encourage you to talk to the people who brought you, or me, but I would love for you to be able to experience this peace. I can't describe it to you. Scripture talks about not being able to describe it. But it talks about peace that you can experience, but it's inexpressible. And it talks about when we thank him for what he's done and we tell him what we need, that we experience that peace, and that peace guards our hearts and our minds. I'm like, that's the best kind of peace, right? And that's what he said before he went to the cross in John 14, 27. He said, I'm going to give you peace, not like the world gives. No, I'm going to give you peace that's from heaven that will guard your heart and mind. And so that's what we get when we come into a relationship. We get to be with the king of kings, this one who made himself nothing so that we could be in this relationship. So if you're like me, you may be thinking, you know, I don't know. You know, like I don't know if you've ever been to a party where somebody's done a bunch of great things for you and you think, gosh, I wish I had a gift. Like I'd feel better if I could give you something. It would make me feel better about all that you're giving me. And here's the good news that I want to share with you today. And it's confidence built on the truth of Scripture. Is that here's all he wants is you and me. That's it. You, when we turn toward him and invite him in and begin to walk with him, that's all he's looking for. He's not looking to settle the score. The score's been settled. He's looking to walk with us. And if we'll just but turn to him and just take a little step and invite him there, then we can give him the gift. And, and, and that's the thing I think it's hard for us to understand and realize and really receive. You, you may all have it, but I struggle with it a little bit. And that's to receive this idea that the king of kings wants to be in a relationship with me. But it's borne out in scripture. Those, those psalms I shared with you just a minute ago. Like, it's, he has said, he has made a way that he wants that relationship with us. And so I just want to encourage you, tonight, tomorrow, if you've got a few days off over the Christmas break, as you think about the story, maybe go back and read Luke 2. And as you think about the story, I just, I just want to remind you that, like, the point of the whole thing is you. 
and, and me. It's us. That's why he came. That's why he came in a manger. That's why he came at all, is to restore us into a relationship with him. And so the one thing you can give him that nobody else can give him, you know how hard it is to get a gift for somebody that's got everything? Well, God's got everything. But the one thing that we can give him is ourselves. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just come before you right now so grateful for all that you've done. Lord, when I think about that king and the story that he made himself a beggar, and that's not even close to what you, the transition you made, I just want to say thank you. Lord, I pray for each person here, wherever they are in a relationship with you, considering walking with you, whatever, that tonight would be a night that they would be encouraged, that this Christmas will be a time to encourage our faith, to be reminded that we have a Heavenly Father who loves us and just wants to be with us. It's in Christ's mighty name we pray, amen.